Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about shoulder dislocation. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash shoulder dislocation or in the orthopedic section of the Zero to Finals surgery book. So let's get straight into it. Shoulder dislocation is where the ball of the shoulder or the head of the humerus comes entirely out of the socket which is the glenoid cavity of the scapula. Subluxation refers to a partial dislocation of the shoulder. The ball does not fully come out of the socket and naturally returns back into place shortly afterwards. More than 90% of shoulder dislocations are anterior dislocations. This is where the head of the humerus moves anteriorly or forward in relation to the glenoid cavity. This can occur when the arm is forced backwards or posteriorly, whilst the shoulder is abducted and extended. Picture somebody reaching out and trying to grab a heavy rock as it's travelling towards them. Posterior dislocations are typically associated with electric shocks and seizures. A Tom tip for you, exam questions might challenge you to distinguish between anterior and posterior dislocations. The answer is almost certainly an anterior dislocation unless the patient has had a seizure or an electric shock. Let's talk about the damage that can be associated with a dislocated shoulder. The glenoid labrum surrounds the glenoid cavity. The labrum is a rim of cartilage that creates a deeper socket for the head of the humerus to fit into. When the shoulder dislocates, the labrum can tear along one of the edges. Bankart lesions are tears to the anterior portion of the labrum. These occur with repeated anterior subluxations or dislocations of the shoulder. Hill-Sachs lesions are compression fractures of the posterolateral part of the head of the humerus, the back and the side of the head of the humerus. As the shoulder dislocates anteriorly, the posterolateral part of the head of the humerus impacts with the anterior rim of the glenoid cavity. Part of the humeral head is damaged, making the shoulder less stable and at risk of further dislocations. Axillary nerve damage is a key complication. The axillary nerve comes from C5 and C6 nerve roots. Damage causes a loss of sensation in an area called the regimental patch, which is over the lateral deltoid on the outside of the shoulder. It also causes motor weakness in the deltoid and the teres minor muscles. Fractures can occur alongside shoulder dislocations, affecting the humeral head, the greater tuberosity of the humerus, the acromion of the scapula, and the clavicle. Rotator cuff tears may occur with shoulder dislocations, particularly in older patients. A tom tip for you, Axillary nerve damage is a common association with anterior dislocations which is worth remembering for your exams. This knowledge may be tested in multiple choice questions where you're asked to identify the affected nerve, the location of the sensory loss or the muscles that are affected by weakness. Let's talk about the presentation. Patients with a shoulder dislocation usually present shortly after the acute injury they will almost certainly be aware that the shoulder is dislocated. 
Shortly after the shoulder is dislocated, the muscles will go into spasm and tighten around the joint. Typically, the patient will hold their arm against the side of their body. The deltoid muscle will appear flattened and the head of the humerus will cause a bulge and be palpable at the front of the shoulder. It's important to assess patients with a shoulder dislocation for any fractures, any vascular damage, for example absent pulses, prolonged capillary refill time and pallor of the limb, and for nerve damage, for example a loss of sensation in the regimental patch area over the outside of the shoulder. Let's talk about the apprehension test. The shoulder apprehension test is a special test to assess for shoulder instability, specifically in the anterior direction. This test is likely to be positive after a previous anterior dislocation or anterior subluxation of the shoulder. The test can be performed after the patient has recovered from any acute injuries. To do the apprehension test, the patient lies supine on their back. The shoulder is abducted to 90 degrees and the elbow is flexed to 90 degrees. Keeping the shoulder abducted and the elbow flexed, the shoulder is then externally rotated in this position whilst watching the patient. As the arm approaches 90 degrees of external rotation, patients with shoulder instability will become anxious and apprehensive worried that the shoulder is going to dislocate. They will want you to stop performing this movement. There's no pain associated with the movement, only apprehension. Let's talk about the investigations. X-rays may be used in an acute presentation to confirm a dislocation and exclude fractures. They're not always required before reduction of the shoulder, depending on the clinical findings and the risk of a fracture. Whether an x-ray is required can be guided by local policies and asking seniors. X-rays are performed after reduction of the shoulder to confirm the shoulder is reduced and to assess for fractures. Magnetic resonance arthrography is an MRI scan of the shoulder with a contrast injected into the shoulder joint. And this can be used to assess the shoulder for damage, for example a Bankart lesion or Hill-Sachs lesion, and to plan for surgery. Arthroscopy involves inserting a camera into the shoulder joint to visualise the structures directly. Let's talk about the acute management of a shoulder dislocation. Ideally, the shoulder should be relocated as soon as safely possible to do so. Muscle spasm occurs over time, which makes it harder to relocate the shoulder and increases the risk of neurovascular injury during relocation. Acute management of a shoulder dislocation involves analgesia, muscle relaxants and sedation as appropriate. Gas and air, for example Entenox, may be used, which contains a mixture of 50% nitrous oxide and 50% oxygen. A broad arm sling may be applied to support the arm. A closed reduction of the shoulder can be used to relocate the shoulder after excluding fractures. Dislocations associated with a fracture may require surgery. Post-reduction x-rays are needed to exclude fractures and the shoulder will need to be immobilised for a period after it's relocated. There are various options for closed reduction of shoulder dislocations. When you're managing shoulder dislocations, see local guidelines and get experienced senior input for guidance on relocation techniques.
Let's talk about the ongoing management. After a shoulder dislocation, there is a high risk of recurrent dislocations, particularly in younger patients. Physiotherapy is recommended to improve the function of the shoulder and reduce the risk of further dislocations. Shoulder stabilization surgery may be required to improve the stability and to prevent further dislocations. This may be an arthroscopic or an open procedure. During surgery, underlying structural problems in the shoulder are corrected, such as repairing Bankart lesions, tightening the shoulder capsule, a bone graft using bone from the coracoid process to correct any bony injury to the glenoid rim, and this is called a later jet procedure, or correcting Hill-Sachs lesions, which is called a romplissage procedure. There is a prolonged period of recovery and rehabilitation after shoulder stabilisation surgery, usually three months or more. Recurrent instability and dislocations can still occur in up to 20% of patients after surgery. So thanks for listening to this episode on shoulder dislocation. As always, a big thank you to Harry for perfectly editing the podcast. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about alecranon bursitis.